Okay, I think this will work. Uh, yeah, okay, try again. Um, here's a bag of peanuts. A bag of peanuts. Uh, a bag of magic beans! You are listening to the Wrong Side of the Red Line, Dallas Stars Podcast. Here's your host, Sean Shapiro. We've had enough audio issues to start today, so uh, hopefully this actually is the recording of the podcast. <laughs> I really hope it is. And it's, it's not even that it's like audio issues. Well, I guess it is kind of audio issues if you can't hear me, but it's just also, I guess, we're retrial running now that somebody advanced to the big boy world and got a microphone. I did get a real microphone. That was, uh, that was a positive. It's... Uh, I hope this. I hope this sounds better. Otherwise, that would have been uh, right. <laughs> otherwise, it wasn't worth nearly the uh, the hassle. Not a lot of not a lot of return on that investment then. Yeah. Well, speaking of returns on investments, the uh, NHL trade deadline is three days is two days from now, uh, March first. Um, I think I've intend. I think I've messed up how many days away it is on both starts so far. Now, I've said three days each time. It's only two days away. It's Wednesday. See, February always messes me up because it's short and then it's 27 days. And you're like, oh, it's five days away. You're like, oh, wait a minute. There's only 28 days in February. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So, okay. The trade deadline is two days away. Roughly, actually, about 48 hours from this moment right now because it's around 2.20 central time right now, which is in the trade deadlines at 3 Eastern on Wednesday. And uh, Stars made their first trade this past Friday. Um, trading Patrick Eves to Anaheim Ducks for a conditional second-round pick, a deal that becomes a first-round pick for the Stars if Patrick if the Ducks reach the Western Conference Finals, and uh, if Patrick Eves plays at least 50% of the games. Um, what do you think of the uh, What do think of that trade, Ryan? Um, at the, I'm still not like super in love with it. Maybe because I overvalued Patrick Eves a little bit, but and then you go out and you see what. Arizona got for Martin Hansel, and you kind of sit here and you think, wait, wait a minute, that's all the stars got for Eves. And I get that a guy like Martin Hansel has is held in higher regards in most hockey circles than I feel like he probably should be, just based on his. I mean, I didn't. I told you yesterday, I didn't really know his underlying stats, and I didn't look at him because I'm lazy. But I mean, if Jim Nail's saying that that was the best deal they got, then I mean, I don't have any reason to disbelieve him because I why would you take that deal if you had a better deal out there? I and I mean I'm in the same boat. I thought the trade deadline was a lot farther away than it actually was and I'm like, oh okay, so maybe a better offer wasn't gonna come around. So I mean it, if it does become a first round pick then obviously it's a great trade. If it stays a second round pick it's gonna be a later second round pick. So that's just eh. And well, no it won't it, it actually it won't be a late second round pick. Oh that's right. It's the middle pick. You're right. It's, it's the Ducks have three picks next year. None of them that are actually their own, and they're gonna have the middle pick or whatever pick the Ducks have. What is it? The, uh, the Sharks, Leafs, and who is the other one? And, and, and Ottawa. Okay, so those are. So it'll probably end up being the Leafs pick, I'd say. Um. So it'd be possibly. mid. It'd be mid second because I don't think Ottawa's gonna make the playoffs. Yeah, it'll be. It'll probably be around. Four, it'd probably be around fourteen, fifteen of the second round. Yeah. Around so. Roughly, probably around pick 45, maybe. 40, um, 45 to 50. So, I mean, that's a pretty... 
And I mean, when you think about it in the big picture, if you had said at the beginning of the year that the Stars would be selling at the trade deadline, one, I wouldn't have believed you, but two, that they'd get a second-round pick between 45 and 50 for Patrick Eves, I would have been like, okay, you know what, that's pretty good. Well, yeah, and I think I think before the season, have you said even even if you didn't even look at if, if we had just gone through the season and just gone through and done an exercise in valuing players, you would have never said Patrick Eves is worth the top 50 draft pick. No, you would have. I don't even think I would have said that Patrick Eves would be a guy that someone would trade for. To be completely honest, so good it's, good asset management this time around. It's a good asset management. Obviously, it's unfortunate that you're at the point where you are selling. Um, it's. Uh, it's interesting because so Jim Nill told me that essentially what it came down to was Anaheim was really they talked to a bunch of people and they've been looking for kind of they've been looking for a second and maybe a prospect but Anaheim was the only team the Ducks were the only team willing to give them a potential first round pick right uh, and what it tell what that tells me just kind of reading between the lines on there there might have been a deal on the table for a second and a prospect. But it probably wasn't a good enough prospect to move the needle. Right. Looking at it that way, there might have been a deal where someone was going to throw in a a second and a B level prospect who, and you don't need another uh, you don't need another Matty Stransky in your system. Not nothing against Matty Stransky, but just you're not. It wasn't going to be a prospect that was going to move the needle. While maybe the potential first round getting that potential first round pick, um, all of a sudden in that first round. First round pick range, you maybe get another. You see what the stars did. They made a similar deal for uh, Yarmer Yager mm-hmm. when they traded him to the, the Bruins, and the Bruins ended up reaching the uh, Stanley Cup Finals. So the first, so the pick became it was a conditional second that became a first, and that's who they drafted Jason Dickinson with. Uh, I mean, it's it's funny to think about that. The think about the stars kind of got a similar deal for Yarmer Yager and Patrick Eves. <laughs> those are two, yeah. Those are two players that typically aren't on the uh, aren't in the same conversation. Right. Ever. And and we're looking at a draft this year that doesn't have a ton of elite level talent in it. So this is probably going to be one of those drafts where you're going to end up with a lot of guys who are drafted at the later end who end up having careers when we're looking at it 20 years down the line, assuming we're all alive still then, <laughs> that have similar career arcs to some of the guys drafted up early. So, I mean, even if it ends up being a later round, later first round pick, which it would be if the Ducks made it all the way to the conference finals. You'd st- it's still a good value pick, potentially. They yeah. were just available what's available in the draft this year. I think this draft becomes. I think this draft because there's not the <clears throat> there's obviously not the McDavid and there's not the uh, there's not the the Eichel. And, I mean, and I think the uh, Fisher and and, uh, and uh, oh uh, Patrick. I think they both. I think they're both potential NHL players next season. But you don't have. They're not generational players. So I look at this draft. Upcoming draft, and we'll talk way more about this. Probably, we'll do. We'll, believe me, we'll do a full. We'll go way into the draft later once we've kind of looked through more of it. But at first glance, for me, this is more of a quantity over quality draft with the picks. Right. Exactly. If you if you if you can go and stock up, and the stars could still can still have the chance to do that with Oduya and Sharp and those deals before the deadline. If you can stock up a handful of top fifty, top seventy five picks. You, you take the quantity and you say, okay, if we, if we draft, if we get six picks in that range, we're gonna we're gonna hope hope we hit on two or three of them. Right, and that's like a strategy that I don't. Or I think it was in regards to Chicago that I, I read a story about recently, and it wasn't that they were necessarily hitting 
at a high percentage on their picks. It's that they had, over the last couple of years, they had stockpiled so many second, third round picks that then they were just drafting so many guys that just the law of average, not the law of averages, but like, you know what I mean? You're drafting so many guys that the law of probabilities is going to say one of them is going to hit at least. Yeah. And it's, and going, going back to the general Eves deal. And I think that's kind of the concept that there's two reasons. We saw the, uh, we were talking comparing Eves to the Hansel deal. And I think the reason for one, the reason Minnesota made the trade is because Minnesota is going for it this year. Minnesota, Mm -hmm. Minnesota doesn't have... Minnesota actually didn't lose any prospects. Basically, Minnesota's just not going to have a draft pick. They, they might, but... Yeah. I don't think they'll, I don't think they'll pick to the, to the fourth round this year, but Minnesota basically decided, we're going to take a swing for it, we're going to go for it, because we have good prospects in our system, and this draft is not... And us getting a 30th pick, the 30th overall, the 29th, 30th overall pick in this draft is not worth the potential to win a Stanley Cup. So I actually give... I actually give Chuck Fletcher, the GM in Minnesota, a lot of credit for. Now, I don't know if I would have gone after Mark Hansel that way, but at least the mentality of we're going to go after the guy we think is the key to uh, to winning a cup, and we're not going to give away any part of a team that's been pretty been uh, pretty damn good all season. Right, and you're looking. I mean, a team like Minnesota, it's not like they're in the same echelon as Chicago, where the Kings have been for a little bit, where you're in contention every year. So you have an opportunity to go for it then. You might as well go all out for it because what do you, you know, you have a bad year five years down the line because you didn't have a certain amount of picks this year. Your farm system gets a little depleted, whatever you want to stay in the cup. So it's worth it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's a good, that, that's a, I don't know if Hansel's the guy I would have gone after, but I, I do give Chuck Fletcher credit for being the, uh, for basically putting his money where his mouth is and say, okay, I'm going to give mm-hmm. this team the best chance to win a cup. Um, with whatever piece I think I need to go mm-hmm. acquire for that. Right. Um, I think, I wonder if the, uh, I do wonder if, and maybe it was the best deal they could have gotten. I don't know if anyone would have given you anything better. I wonder if the Stars had been patient, a little bit more patient, and waited until after Hansel had been traded. I wonder if there would have been a little bit more offer for Eves. That's true. That's a good thought, because, I mean, it's, it's obviously, there's, there's inherent risk to that, you know, maybe he gets hurt, maybe. I guess if you, if you're looking at it from what, how you're evaluating your own players, if you felt like the max that you could have gotten for Patrick Eves was a potential, was a second round pick to a potential, that becomes a potential first round pick, you might as well make that trade. Mm-hmm. But, and I mean, there are also two different players. Hansel's obviously a more defensive oriented winger. Eves a winger who can score, can play D. So, you know, I guess the center kind of adds a little extra value to that too. So, but it's it's interesting to think is, about. And as stars, though, you can on a positive, not that there's a negative. I think, I think, as I said, kind of at the start of this podcast, getting Patrick, getting a potential first round pick for Patrick Eves is incredible, considering what you would have valued him mm-hmm. at the beginning of the season. Um, but the Hansel trade does start to make me think a little bit about what could that market be for Patrick Sharp. Because I think um, Sharp is obviously Hansel's having a better better year overall than Sharp right now because he stayed healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, Sharp obviously the injuries have, have hurt Sharp and coming off the concussion. But Patrick Sharp, all of a sudden you're looking at, and I, I put this out on Twitter the other day, where I think you're at a spot with the Stars, and I think you can go and you can say, hey, we're looking for a second round pick and a prospect. 
for Patrick Sharp, and then you start you open it there. I'm not saying that's what you you end up with, but you open that there, and then you see what the market determines from there. And that's right. kind of and because the number of pieces that are are available are are starting to dwindle because Hansel's gone, Eves is gone, obviously because you traded him away. Uh, uh, who just uh, somebody uh, resigned the other day that people thought was going to be a rental? Berglund. Or was that Patrick Berglund? Berglund. Yeah, Ber- yeah, Berglund resigned. Um, the uh, looking at Twitter right now, Dan uh, Boyle, Brian Boyle just got traded to uh, San Jose. Oh wow, that's uh, another Bob piece. Did, Bob McKenzie just tweeted nothing official from either Toronto or Tampa Bay yet, but. Assumes. Oh no, he got traded to Toronto. Sorry, nothing official from either Toronto or Tampa Bay. Assuming it unfolds with no issues, expectation is Boyle will join Toronto and San Jose. Okay, it's an interesting move. I mean, then we had the, we had the trade yesterday too, which was uh, obviously the big trade yesterday was the goalie trade finally happened. With either we knew Ben Bishop or Mark Andre Fleury, we thought they would get moved before the deadline, and Ben Bishop got traded to the Kings, and that's. I wouldn't have expected him to end up with the Kings. No. At least not, at least not, the, the timing of the deal is what confuses me. This is a deal you make three months ago if you're the Kings. Right, and I am, I mean, when it was kind of explained out a little bit more, it made, I guess, a little sense, but I'm just shocked that that was literally Steve Eiserman's only offer for Ben Bishop. But it does make sense that, I mean, if you look at, if you look at teams that are still in contention, there's really not anyone that was really looking for goalie help. And here's my all right, here's my underlying theory to this. I want to say this before I forget it. My theory for this is the Kings get Bishop, obviously in case Quick gets hurt. But my theory is that Dean Lombardi does this and then prays to whatever God he believes in that Ben Bishop signs with Vegas during their exclusive rights negotiating period in the offseason so that Vegas can't take anyone off the Kings then in the expansion draft. That's a uh, that is a that would be a good if 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 that's a really good point. If Vegas, if if uh, Lombardi can get out of losing a player in the expansion draft by losing Bishop in the expansion draft, yeah, I mean in the uh, in the exclusive rights signing, that's that's a really good point I hadn't thought about yet with uh with with that with that trade. There's so many elements of this trade I've been thinking about, and I just hadn't thought about. Right, but it's like because whether what other reason do you make that? I mean, granted, you didn't give up a lot, but if you're looking at this LA Kings team, you say they need offense. And this trade does the exact opposite thing of that. So there's, unless you don't have faith in Jonathan Quick staying healthy, but Peter Budai hadn't really been, Peter Budai's been better than Ben Bishop has this year. Yeah, he's been, yeah, Budai's been very good. Budai's one of the better stories of this year. I mean, Peter Budai's the Patrick Eves of, the Patrick Eves of this season, where Mm -hmm. before the season, you would have never said, you would have never believed me if I told you Peter Budai would be the appropriate, appropriate return in a trade. Right. Um, um, I just I did just look this up for comparison's sake. Martin Hansel this year, his goals four percentage is forty point six, and his Corsi four is forty seven point six. So he's not. I mean, on I, a bad team, right? On a really, I, I, on a really bad team, right? Though. And I get that Arizona has been awful, but I mean, that's. I, I guess if you pair him with Minnesota, you might be better there. But that just seems like a lot to pay for that particular player. My thing on Hansel is I saw him so. I guess it was his last game with Arizona. I saw because Arizona was here in Dallas on a mm-hmm. 
on uh, Friday on Friday right before the break on the day on uh, Friday after the bye week when the Stars traded Patrick Eves. Unless unless Arizona played a game since the no, that was his last. Miss, um, that was his last. And he didn't stand out to me. And now I wasn't intentionally watching Martin Hansel trade for Martin Hansel. Obviously, I was I was there working in the capacity to cover the game. So I don't know. Maybe some scouts saw other things. But it was one of those things where he didn't stand out to me. I mean, if anything, I remember more from that game. I remember Ryan White trying to fight Jamie Ben off the opening faceoff. <laughs> <laughs> um, interesting thing about that game. I guess it's not as interesting as I thought it would be. He played 20 minutes in that game, which like, he's done a lot this year. I was going to that's the most he played in the last five games, though, so I was going to trace that. But he had eight shots, 26 shifts. I mean, he was he was a good player, but it's not like he stood out as, I was like, this is a guy that takes right. your team right. to the next step level guy. That you're going to give a first and a second round pick for, plus a prospect. And, I, it was, and also a... Uh, it was a, condi- a, for a conditional fourth round pick that if conditional fourth round pick that it becomes a second if Minnesota gets far enough. So if Minnesota hypothetically gets to the Stanley Cup Finals, that trade, regardless of what Marty Hansel's role is in that, it becomes the first and yeah. two second round picks. That's a huge price to pay for a guy a who's for a guy who's probably going to be a third line center on that team. Yeah, but if if you win a Stanley Cup, it's worth it. That's yeah, just, it's that's true. I mean, the uh, I mean, and that we're jumping around all over the place. I realize right now, but that's kind of what the trade deadline does. I think that's a fair way to put it. Right. Um, but Steve Eiserman deserves a ton of credit for getting. So I mean, I'm I'm kind of shocked that he said today that this was his only offer, which surprises me. Um, but still, gives if it, if it was his only if it was in fact his only offer, then that even adds more to the credit you got to give Eiserman as he was able to turn an unrestricted free agent. Who he was unrestricted free agent goalie, who he was not going to resign because they've committed to Vasilevsky. They mm-hmm. they made their commitment to Vasilevsky uh, to turn that into a uh, couple picks. Um, you found your backup goalie. Who's, you got another backup goalie who's really cheap, and you also had a and a pretty good product. I just I just forgot the kid's name, but Eric Cernak. Who's playing down in Erie, so you got a pretty good prospect out of it as well. I mean, that's a really good, it's a really good move by for Iserman on that on that front. Um, and now we'll see we'll see what the King what how the Kings handle having Bishop and Quick. Um, it's one of those where they've got two thirds of the American goalies from the World Cup now. They just need to try and trade for Corey Schneider in the summer, I guess, and go and go a three goalie tandem of Americans. Right um, now. We were having this debate on Twitter yesterday, and I'll take it to the podcast now. On uh, Jonathan Quick and opinions of his play. Nobody in the history of the NHL has benefited more from an unbelievable season than Jonathan Quick has. This is my overreaching point. The, since, since Jonathan Quick jumped into the NHL and played a lion's share of the games for the Los Angeles Kings, his season save percentages are 914, 907, 918, 929, 902, 915, 918, and 918. Do you know what that 929 is called in the statistical community? It's called an outlier. He played out of his mind for 12 months of the year and parlayed it into this weird fantasy that people think that he's the best goalie in the world. And he's 
And you made the point that I get. If you want to say Jonathan Quick is a clutch, quote unquote, goalie because of his performance in that 2012 Stanley Cup playoffs, that's fine. That's completely fine because you'd be right. Because he was, like I said, that entire calendar year, he was unbelievable. But his second stand, do you know what his, his stat line was when the Kings won their second cup? I do because I'm looking at his stat line right now. That season, he was the third best goalie on his own fucking team. In 2014? In 2014, Ben Scrivens and Martin Jones had markedly better statistics than he did in a pretty serious share of games for two backup goalies. In, 19, in 18 starts that year, Martin Jones had a 1-8 goals against and a 9-3-4 save percentage. And in 15 starts, Ben Scrivens had a 9-1-7 goals against and a 9-31 save percentage. Quick was 207 and 915. I understand. I do understand where you're coming with with save percentage, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to say the. Those stats are fair. Those stats are, are correct. Now, quick counterpoint: nine twenty-one. If you're not, if you want to take the nine twenty-nine as an outlier, fine. Take the nine twenty-nine as an outlier. Then I also say you take the 2012-13 season versus nine hundred two. You take that as an outlier. So if you take those two outliers out, he's roughly a nine eighteen, nine seventeen save percentage goalie for his career. Right, and that's league, and that's league average. That's league average save percentage right now is nine sixteen. He's a slightly above average goaltender. Have you watched how the Kings play with Jonathan Quick in that, as opposed to how they watch how they play without him in that? I don't watch the Los Angeles Kings, so no. Okay, so 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 here's my point, and this Jonathan Quick's stats and how he is judged and, and how you look at his stats, you need to take into effect. That the Kings play a more open style, they take more chances, they're a better offensive team when he's in goal because they are willing to take more chances. When they have a backup in goal, they shut down more defensively. They're already a good defensive team, but when they have when they have when they had Peter Budai in goal, they they shut they, they locked down and played more defensively. I know I'm t- when that year, the 2013-14 season, I don't ha- I haven't watched those games in front of me, but I can tell you from from memory, and, and and I can and we could go check the tape where they played better defensively in front of uh, well Martin Jones is a very good goalie so maybe not in front of Martin Jones but in front of uh, uh, Bernier or was it Scrivens? Scrivens. In front of Scrivens. The way he plays allows them to be a better overall team. It's the same way and the same way that Martin Berdor, a guy I I grew up watching play quite a bit, he allowed the Devils to be a better hockey. team. His save percentage was not as good as it could have been if he played in front of a team. And this Devils played a defensive style, I know that. But he played a style that allowed the Devils to let up 19, 18, 20 shots a game because of how he handled the puck, because of how he, because of how the trap worked because of him. The Kings, the Kings don't run a trap, but they run a system that when they trust their goalie, their defense can pinch in more. Look at the goal that the... Uh, the game-winning goal, I believe, it was the 2014 Finals when the when the Kings beat uh, the uh, they beat the Rangers in the 2014 Final. Correct? Yes. They uh, and so in that 2014 Final, Alec Martinez, the defenseman, jumps into the play, and I'm not I'm not giving full credit to this, but he's able to jump into the play and able to be part of the play because their defense is more aggressive. They can push the puck more. They can. They're a better team if you watch them play versus when he's a backup in goal. I know I know the point you're making statistically. 
but there's there's another element there that you have to watch to see for to kind of to judge him as a goalie. So basically, what you're saying is it's an eye test thing. And I'm not okay. I'm not. We're not. Tur- I'm not turning this into an eye test, a complete eye test first analytics. But I yes, it's. I, I I do think you have to look at the eye test, and I also think you have to take a look at what he's done in in key games. He's in the years they've won the Stanley Cup, what he does in the playoffs, I just the combination of what he's done in the big games and what he's done through the eye test. That's why he's elite in my mind. Um, I, I see your point. The save percentage is league average. I, I, I give that to you. I give you that that his save percentage is 918, 916 is league average. It's, it's, it's an average the Stars would love to have right now. <laughs> but the uh, I give that point to you, but I would... I would I would say watch watch the Kings pick now that they're now that he's healthy and playing. I mean, watching them play the other night, uh, watched his first game back uh, which Pat- when they played the Ducks and Patrick Eves actually uh, made his Ducks debut. The Kings look like a better team when he's full. Just it's it's a factor that I'm not you can't really put a statistic on that. And if it takes if your save percentage docks two three points because you're giving, you're facing more odd man rushes. You're facing more chances, but on the other end, it's also creating chances on the other end. I'm willing to take. Them. Okay, my counterpoint to that is: Do you know how many times since 2010 the Kings have finished in the top ten in goals for per game? Once. Goals for. In goals yeah, for. They they need to take more. They, they they need to take more chances to score goals. That's my point. Okay, but it's still. I know, and it's. But it's still not working. So that's like that's my my entire point is that. You're trying to take more chances offensively. It's still not working, and you're still not getting enough big saves. I mean, I get you get big saves. Jonathan Quick is like a more polished Marty Turco in the sense that his style is just, I'm going to fly around in the net and hope it works for me. He's an athletic freak. He's really good at playing the puck. But he's just not that great of a goalie. And there's no, it's, it'd be one thing if you're taking more chances and there's a tangible benefit. My point is, if you're taking more chances because you quote unquote trust your goalie and he still has a league average save percentage and you're still not scoring enough to justify that, what the fuck are you doing? How does Daryl Sutter, I get how Daryl Sutter still has a job, but it's, no, it's not his fault, but still, you would think that not, this is just all isn't adding up. You know what I mean? And they play, they, the reason that, the reason that they have, I mean, their goals against are so low for you because they have a great defensive system. If you were going to, and they have great defensemen too. If we were going to right now take every defenseman on the Dallas Stars and every defenseman on the Los Angeles Kings and put them into a pool, there's five guys on the Kings I would take before anyone on the Stars not named John Klingberg. They have five guys on their team who would probably be top pairing guys in Dallas. They have great defensemen. They play a great defensive system around him. And I get that. It's, it's, it's a shot suppression type system because I see that shit in Bowling Green all the time. Their goalie's been phenomenal the last three months of the season and his save percentage for the season is still at 912, but they allow 15, 20, 25 shots a game. And I get that that's, it's very hard to boost your save percentage when you're not facing a lot of shots, but there's Aside from one season, there's nothing about Jonathan Quick's game that screams, I'm an elite goaltender. He's a good goaltender, a very good goaltender when he is on his game. But there's, but he's so inconsistent too. There are games that you look and he just looks like crap. He'll give up 
six goals and you're sitting there like, what? How did that go in? I don't, I just, I've never seen one player benefit so much from, and here's my other point. If you look at Peter Budai's stat line right now, and you apply that to Jonathan Quick, every person in the world would be screaming, these guys need offense. Jonathan Quick's doing his thing, blah, 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 blah. Peter Budai has a 2-1-2 goals against and a 9-17 save percentage. That's Jonathan Quick's average season. That's that's literally Jonathan Quick's average stat line right there. I don't get it. That's what I don't get. This dude has 18 career shutouts, and seven of them have come this year. That leads me to believe. And then you look at, and then you look, I mean, you look at guys like Ben Scrivens and Martin Jones. Not that Martin Jones hasn't been bad, but his career, his career numbers are very similar to Jonathan Wicks, and I get it's over a much smaller sample size. And Ben Scrivens is playing in like Switzerland right now or something like that. These guys leave Los Angeles, and their numbers aren't the, the same. Ben, 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 ben Scrivens is in the cage, yeah. Okay. Same difference. Same. Okay, it's not the same difference, but you get my point. The dude's not even in the NHL anymore. These guys leave Los Angeles and their numbers go down the toilet. That to me signifies that it's the system. There is. They are a very good defensive system, and I would argue that Peter Budai and I would agree with you. Peter Budai, I would agree with you that this system makes goalies look better. It has made. It makes other goalies look better. Now, I think their system works better with Jonathan Quick in play. And I think that his save percentage, and I know, I know, his, his save percentage probably would be better if they face, if you, if you, if you face more shots again. Now, I'll, I'll give it to you. Maybe I'll, I'll give you this. I'm probably, maybe I'm getting too wrapped up in what he's done in the playoffs. Maybe I'm getting too wrapped up in what he's done in the, in, in, in the postseason. To be fair, maybe. To be fair, you're not the only one because he finished third in the Besna voting last year, and he wasn't even that good last year. So you're not the only one. I think I look at his track record in the playoffs, and actually last year he wasn't good in the playoffs. I think in their five, in their five game series last year he was just no. very average, and they lost. No, and he was so very I, average the year the second year they won the cup too. But I, I look at what he's done in the postseason. I look at what he's done in the uh, was it the uh, he was very good. and obviously it's, it's easy to put up good numbers when you're playing for a country like the U.S. or Canada in the Olympics. But he also had good numbers in the Olympics four years ago. Uh, the elite goalies, in my mind, are goalies that get the job done in the playoffs consistently. And that's what he's done in his career. Now, he's been good enough to help his team get in the playoffs, and then they've won in the postseason. That's what an, uh, I, want, I want someone who is actually going to win games when it matters. And I'm not sure if there's a stat there or if there's something you can throw out there to prove that there's one, that one guy that when a guy comes up, he can do that or he can't do that. But Jonathan Quick has that factor where he wins games in the postseason. He can stand on his head when needed. And he also allows the system in front of him to work better. To be fair. That's why he's elite in my mind. To be fair, they won, they won in 2014 because Kopitar, Carter, and Williams were fucking dominant for the entirety of the postseason. That's the other thing, too. It's like, once again, I will give I will give you in two, from from... October 2011 until June 2012, Jonathan Quick was the best goalie in the Milky Way galaxy, bar none. I will give you that every single time. But to sit, he's too, it's the same thing. It's like, are you really going to sit here? And I get it's quarterbacks and it's the same thing. Are you really going to sit here and tell me that Eli Manning is better than Peyton Manning? 
because he lucked into two Super Bowls. Jonathan Quick was a fucking bystander in 2014. He benefited from three guys playing out of there. Even Gabrick was unreal in that postseason. He benefited from the best offensive output the Kings have had in like 20 years during that 26 game stretch. If the Kings were, if the Kings had gone along with their average goal scoring throughout the playoffs, they would have been knocked out in the second round. Well, he got pulled yeah, twice in the postseason. I'll give you this. I'll, the other thing, I, I will give you this, that his numbers are, that his numbers are, have been league average. I'll give that to you. And I'll also, you know what, I'll also see your point too that he's had bad games. I, there's a factor there, and you know what? Maybe I admit, maybe I have that that winning, maybe I have that bias in my head, and maybe I need to fix it because, and maybe I need to think about that because, maybe I do have that bias in my head where I'm looking too much at him winning two Stanley Cups. Maybe I looked at him winning in 2012, and then that was in my mind when he won in 2014. Maybe that is the case. I admit that. So, good on you. <laughs> I'll give you credit for that right now because I'm more about this right now in, in this live conversation right now. I'm actually seeing more and more of your points. At last season, Jonathan Quick, among goaltenders who played enough to qualify for league awards, was 17th and goal saved above average. There were 16 goalies in the league who were better than him last season. And I, I don't even really know what this stat means, but I'm just throwing shit out there now because I'm starting to get angry. I'm not getting angry. I just, I saw this last night. The goals the goalie prevented to give, prevented given his safe percentage and shots face versus the league average safe percentage on the same number of shots. Whatever that means. I guess this was actually not because there's like a hundred goalies on this list. Anyway, he saved six goals above average compared to Last year, Ben Bishop was the leader at 19. I don't really know what that means. I just know it helps my argument in some way. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be a bigger person, right? Not a bigger person because you haven't. Neither you haven't been disrespectful at all. I'm not I'm, yet. I'm not yet. Your, I. I'm not. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to admit here during this conversation and listening to your points that you may be right. And I'm going to be a bigger, I'm going to, you can mark that down right now. It's 2.50 on Tuesday. I'm Check admitting, mark. I'm admitting I'm potentially wrong. <laughs> so. There's a first time for everything, Sean. And I get it. And 80 minutes, I mean, granted 80 minutes is about as small of a sample size as you can get, but he's looked really good this year. It's just, I... He looked very, I, good, the, he looked very good the other night. It's just I don't I don't get the mystique or I get I understand where the mystique comes from around Jonathan Quick. I just think it's horribly misplaced. I think too much stock gets and it's it's you see it every time. Like Brian Bickle's making four million dollars this year to play and not even play hockey, unfortunately, because of his medical issues. But he was making four million dollars to play hockey because he had seventeen points in twenty three postseason games a couple years ago. People put so much stock in the postseason and it clout it makes them do stupid things like give Brian Bickle a four-year, $16 million extension when everyone in the world is like, dude, Stan Bowman, what are you doing? And in that case, it ended up costing him Tavo Teravainen. And, and so this is going to be, and I'm going to segue this back to the start, just going back to a 
conversation we had earlier um, with Patrick Eves. We've talked before about Patrick Eves being a pure rental and how he theoretically he could be back with Dallas next year if, mm-hmm. he, if he signs in the summer. And I think they'd like to have him back, but this is a very good point where I'm worried that I think he might be priced out of what he's worth to be to the Stars in the summer. I'd like to see them sign it. I'd like to see them bring him back for maybe $2 million, maybe 2.25 at most. However, scored 21 goals this year. Say he scores five or six in the playoffs and the Ducks reach the Cup Finals. Someone's going to give him three and a half. Oh, yeah. And he'd be, I mean, as much as you've told me that he loves Dallas and, would, and his family loves Dallas and he just loves the situation in Dallas, he's 33 years old. He's a guy, I mean, granted, that's a still a shit ton more money than I'm ever going to make in my entire life, but he's not exactly raking in millions of dollars based on just how his career has gone. He'd be insane if someone doesn't come up and say, hey, we'll give you three years, $10 million to take that. Regardless of how he feels for Dallas, and if I'm Jim Neal, I wouldn't give him that. Just because, I mean, the dude hasn't, the dude literally hasn't practiced this year because his, because of his foot injury. Like, you'd be insane to do that, but someone's, yeah. But some, um, here we go. Uh, they got, Tampa got Byron Fresh and a 2017 second round pick. I don't know who Byron Fresh is, but a second, second round pick for Brian Boyle is pretty good. I think he's an A, I think he's a top six AHL guy, I think. Let's find um, out. Who are you, Byron? Why did I not just do this? Uh, he is 25 years old, so not really. Okay, so he's not, a, not a pure prospect, but a minor leaguer. He has 39 points and 48 AHL games this year, so yeah. Good bottom six guy that going forward, good. potentially. That's- Looks like a deal that you do. Looks like a deal with where something you do something in mind with also helping your AHL club out at, club out as well. Right, exactly. Okay. He played for that. he played so for. We t- haven't even talked. He played for Toledo a couple years ago. Hmm. By the way, the Toledo walleye this year were really good. We went to a game last night. Like, what, eight? They won eight to one last night. They have, hold on, they're, um, I want to find this right now. They're, uh, their leading scorer in, like, per, in a single season in their franchise history is like 32. They have a dude who has 31 and 54 games this year. He's going to crush the lead, their scoring record. Tyson Spink, a 24 year old former Colgate University player. Has 31 goals and 34 assists in 65 games this year. I'm shocked someone hasn't tried to sign him to an AHL deal. Mighty, uh, there's, there's actually, there's, there's a really interesting, um, something that's really interesting about signing, uh, guys from the ECHL to the AHL. And I don't know about this guy's individual deal, but mm. there's one, uh, one factor that comes into play, um, which I think it's kind of an underside of signing ECHL players to AHL contracts that people don't realize there is, is if a guy's got a lingering issue, an AHL club is going to stay away from them because once they sign them, they're responsible for taking care of that injury. That makes sense. So I, I, I don't know what, I don't know what this individual player, I don't know this individual player's situation. However, right. there, that is something where 
if you're an ECHL player and you could, and if, if you're an AHL team and you're looking for an ECHL player and you have, and you're looking at three or four guys and one guy may have less points, but he has a clean bill of health. Right. That's, that's that makes where sense. you go with it just because it is, it is minor league sports. It is right. a place where you're saving as much money as possible. Right. That makes sense. They have, uh, so it's, uh, they have Bowling Green's favorite son, Alden Hirschfeld, ca- ha- captain in that team this year. Alden Hirschfeld. He, he was the one who, uh, he had the medical scare a year ago or two, didn't he? Yeah, you think he had a heart attack on a bench or something like that? Yeah. That's, uh, speaking of heart attacks on the bench, we'll get to Rich Coverley in a minute. So I want, I want to get on Rich, I want to get to Rich Coverley, but before yes. that, I want to get through, I want to get, I want to get through the trade stuff before we get to that. Okay. Um, the, uh, Johnny Oduya played his first game back from injury um, against Boston. Uh, that's I really think uh, we we've been talking about LA. LA LA is a team I should keep, I would keep an eye on right now because they've had two scouts, including their head of uh, hockey, uh, instead of uh, their head of pro scouting, watch the last two Stars games. Even after Patrick Eves was traded, I know they were in on Eves actually. I know the Kings were someone who actually had looked at Eves, but I know the price ended up being too high for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, So, Johnny O'Dea returns from injury, and uh, returned from injury, and his ankle, I thought he looked good the other night. I mean, it was one of those games where he first came back in 15 games, an injury to your foot to your ankle, that can really mm-hmm. screw with your skating, that can be really tough to return, mm-hmm. but I thought he looked good enough to be a. Uh, I thought he looked good enough to get a Ron Hainsey type deal for the Stars. Yeah, that's fair to say. And the Stars would, I'm sure, be happy to take that. Because I mean, Ron Hainsey is Johnny O'Dea without the playoff experience. Right. That's exactly what they are. Right, and Ron Hainsey hasn't even. O'Dea. Ron Hainsey hasn't even been that good this year. No, he hasn't. He hasn't. He's been. He has not been. Uh, the. Uh, Oduya is a guy who, like, I think Haynes has got like 890 career NHL games without playing in the playoffs or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Oduya is closer to like 850, 860 or whatever. And, and I might be off by a little bit, but he's got two pairs of Stanley Cups. He's got 100 career NHL playoff games. Um, if you can get a, uh, what was the full extent of that Hainsey deal? It was uh, uh, second rounder and Danny Cristo. Yeah, so if you can get a, if you can get a second round pick and a and you can grab a decent minor league player to help your AHL franchise, which has struggled this year, mm-hmm. or maybe a guy who, uh, or maybe even a, maybe even actual, an actual prospect. That could be a good fit for Oduya. Maybe a little more if teams start to get a little desperate. Mm-hmm. Um, someone threw out a deal, and I, I don't know if I do this deal, but somebody just this is pure speculation. But someone did the math to show that it would work. Someone showed me the math that it would work for. The Stars could trade Oduya to Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Now, Pittsburgh's not going to trade for another D already. They have enough D already. Right. But um, Stars could trade Oduya to Pittsburgh for uh, Marc-Andre Fleury and Andy Niemi, with Stars retaining half of Niemi's salary, and then Pittsburgh would be able to buy out uh, Niemi at the end of the season, and they'd only have, and they'd be able to do it easily, so it would just be, they'd only be buying out half of his salary. And then... For the stars with Miami, would their cap hit next year just be what Miami's retain was, and then he was they'd be done with that? 
Yes. Oh, interesting. How about? I don't. I mean, they're, pro- they're probably not going to do that because obviously, I mean, that probably won't happen now since Pittsburgh already traded for another defenseman. What about what if you throw Patrick Sharp into that instead of Odia? I'm not sure how the. Could see that work? I mean, it's, it, it, their their contracts are are similar. Wow. Um, you you might on. have to retain a little bit of salary on Sharp, maybe retain. Oh uh, yeah, I think you'd have to retain. You'd probably have to retain more than that because I think Odui is like three point seven five, and Sharp is closer to six. Yeah, Odui um, is at five point. Uh, is at three point seven five or three point eight, and Sharp's at five point nine. Yeah, so you'd probably have to retain half of Sharp's salary too. Uh, not quite half, yeah. but you'd have to retain that. So yeah, that that'd be interesting. Because then Pittsburgh keeps. It would be Pittsburgh has a backup, and I feel like Niemi would be a lot better in Pittsburgh than he would here. Just I agree because, with that. Just because I mean, I mean, you get reinvigorated, and Pittsburgh plays a lot better defensively than Dallas does, and blah 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 blah. I wouldn't be a bad trade for Pittsburgh because yeah. then you're you're getting rid of. I mean, you're still keeping a decent backup goalie with experience in the playoffs. Uh, you're ridding yourself of. Having to deal with Mark Andre Fleury, Matt Murray situation after the season, and what you're going to do with that. Plus, you add a scoring winner, which I don't know if they really need one because those young guys that they have, Russ, Cheery, those guys, Jake Gunsel, they've all been playing pretty well for them. So, I don't know if they'd be in the market for a guy like Patrick Sharp, but theoretically, I guess that would work too. Yeah, I think two teams that I would keep an eye on for Sharp is I think. I look out west. I think maybe LA could be in on Sharp. I look mm-hmm. at maybe maybe a San Jose could add him to their roster if if, if they because uh, um, I know they're obviously they're looking at they'd like to go after their their old. I mean they've got some good young players, but obviously Joe Thornton's not going to be younger. Patrick Martin's not going to be any younger. Um, I personally think San Jose missed out on a fantastic marketing opportunity by not acquiring Patrick Eves. It would have been it would have been great, wouldn't it? Because then yeah, they they could have literally the they could have literally been fear the beard two K seventeen. It would have been uh, really is a missed out marketing opportunity. I, I I wonder if they were in on him or not. I don't know if they were in on I don't know if they were in discussion on use uh, or not, but it is a missed marketing opportunity. I personally think they're devoting all their resources trying to figure out how to clone Brent Burns. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, his his career his his career arc's amazing. Yeah, it is. What he's gone through and how he's I mean he's he was was it what four years ago was was it four years ago was the most recent time they tried him at wing again? I think so. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. But but yeah, when they because what did they get? They traded him for Setaguchi, which I mean, obviously in mm-hmm. hindsight that trade looks horrendous. But he wasn't. I mean, he was a good player yeah. in Minnesota. But I mean, he was like. A little more than half a point a game. He wasn't anything spectacular or anything like that. And then his first season in San Jose was just, it was just eh, you know what I mean? But then that lockout short season, he took off. Then after that, I mean, it's all history up to that point. He's been phenomenal the last four years. Mm -hmm. Talk about a late bloom. I mean, that was in like his, that was his age 27 season when he took off. Yeah. He's a he's a hell of a player. He's a guy who uh, he's gonna he's a pretty much. That probably if you're looking at awards this year, probably that's probably a one lock, right? 
he's gonna he's gonna win the Norris. I think you could honestly make a pretty strong case for him to win the heart as well. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. <laughs> I mean, at this point, he's only six points off McDavid for the scoring lead, too, so why don't we just throw the Art Ross in there, too? Completely. Just completely, yeah. He's, uh, he's Bobby Orr if he had a... He's Bobby Orr with a beard, I guess. How many... Oh, hold on. How many... <laughs> he's got 20. Who's leading the league in goals right now? It's Crosby still, right? It's Crosby, and then I believe McDavid and Line. Not McDavid, sorry. Uh, uh, Matthews and Line are both at 30. Brent Burns is at 27 goals. Jesus Christ, dude. This guy is unreal. How many times has the defenseman ever won the Richard? I mean, not that he's going to win the Richard this year, but has the defense, a defenseman ever won the Richard before? Uh, Bobby Orr has. Okay. I mean, I, I know Bobby Orr. Oh, Crosby. I, I don't know if anyone. I don't. Anyone since has. Right. Yeah, Crosby's at 34, so there's no way Burns is catching him. But damn, he's just a remarkable season. I want to get into. Uh, I want, do you have any any other trade things you want to touch on before we move on to um, Rich Peverly? I think the only thing I wanted to ask you is, based on the market we've seen for defensemen so far, do you think they go ahead and try to move Hamus as well? I think. Uh, I think. I think. I think you. Uh, dog, be quiet. <laughs> I think you. Uh, I think you try and look. I think you take a look and see what's available, um, because you're not gonna ha- you're not gonna resign him after next season. He's only he's, you're only gonna have him for next season anyway. Um, I think he's. Uh, I think you take a look around, and I think if there's a team that is, uh, say you trade or do you tomorrow, just hypothetically, say you trade or do you on Tuesday. And all of a sudden, there's a team looking out there that slept holding the bag and needs a defenseman. I think you could find out. He's a deadline-type move, I think. He's a move where you trade him at the deadline if the uh, if there's an offer there. But I don't think I don't think you go actively shopping him. I think you just make it known that he's available for the right price. Okay, that makes sense. Let, and then as people get at, as you as people get desperate at the deadline, you see what happens. The other factor at the deadline that I think you could see too. Um, I don't. The other factor of the deadline, see, and this is just dependent on, say, somebody uh, gets through Tuesday, gets through Wednesday, and they miss out on everyone they were going after. They were, say, they were in on Eves and they were in on Hansel, and they didn't get anyone. Just say a team misses misses out on everything. All of a sudden, I could see just with how he's played lately, someone who's looking for depth. Maybe they have an injury. All of a sudden, one saying, "Hey, we'll throw you a conditional fifth round pick for Lori Korpakowski." Right. Just that's not. I'm. I'm not, I don't think anyone's act. No, no one has Lori Kopitarski on the top of their list. I'm not saying that. But as we get to Wednesday and as it gets towards noon Central, who doesn't say that somebody call? Maybe uh, someone rolls an ankle in New York. On maybe one of the Islanders rolls an ankle and is going to miss a couple weeks. And all of a sudden, Garth Snow gets on the call with gets on the phone with Jim Nill at noon on Wednesday, saying, "Hey, conditional fit for right. Kopitarski." Like I, I think it's. I think that's a guy who maybe uh, who, who you could possibly see move just in a deadline type move. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, okay. which would be which would be another which would be another great asset management. Right, exactly, because that's not a guy you're bringing back next year anyway. So, yeah. 
Okay, that was really that was so, the only other question I had. To, trades. Uh, yeah, yeah. So moving on to uh, this game this uh, on Sunday, they played the Bruins, and it was kind of a cool event. They had the uh, they did their uh, Pevs for Pecs Day for Rich Peverly. Um, obviously, everyone knows Rich Peverly's story. Uh, March tenth, two thousand fourteen, against the Columbus Blue Jackets, Hart stopped on the bench. He was literally dead on the bench for half a minute, and then uh, ended up uh, ended up saving his life. And he obviously never played. He obviously was forced to retire after that. Very similar to uh, to uh, Yuri Fisher from God. Yuri Fisher was like over a decade ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, but pretty cool event uh, on Sun on Sunday just with raising money for the American Heart Association and uh, just there were. Uh, Peverly was there before the game. The team used red stick tape for uh, used red stick tape to to raise awareness. He was playing uh, street hockey with the uh, with some of the kids before the game. Pretty cool stuff he's been involved with now. Um, and I wanted to talk and all that stuff's cool, but I want to talk more about the hockey side with him. Just how I think. Don't be surprised if ten in in five or six years from now. Yeah, maybe even ten years from now, we're talking about Rich Peverly, general manager of some NHL team. Mm-hmm. That makes sense because he had, yeah, because he's he's a guy who I, I wrote a story about him uh, this, this past week. That if, uh, if you're interested in it, that's it was posted on Monday. You can go look it up. Uh, I also wrote something about him actually for the hockey news that's coming out soon uh, about his how he's kind of made the transition to his post playing career, and uh, he has. Um, he's he's in player development for the Stars. He's based up in Guelph, uh, Ontario, and he's kind of he spent he spends two weeks a season going to Europe, seeing prospects in Europe, sees players in college in the OHL. Uh, come spend some time down in Cedar Park with the uh, AHL team. And one thing that's really impressive to me about him and just what he's done is just talking to the younger players about their interactions with him because there's a lot of times where you can, I mean, you can imagine a lot of the, if you're a lot of the prospects who are 19, 20 years old. A lot of the guys who are in player development who come talk to them are 55, 60 already. Right. Right. It's people who have been, who have been in this business forever. I mean, but then a lot of prospects have raved just the fact about working with Peverly who's 34 now who, Looks like he could still play in the NHL right now. I mean, if he wasn't, if his heart didn't stop, he probably still would be an NHL center right now. Mm-hmm. And and just kind of how he, the little elements that so many I've talked to, easily half a dozen, probably more, stars prospects who have talked about uh, who have talked about uh, the fact have talked about the fact that he just knows and sees the little parts of the game. And the things that he can kind of make, he kind of can take the next step. Um, that he can kind of t- see the little things that a guy needs to do, uh, whether it's how to approach this play here or how to approach something off the ice. It's it's become a real asset to the Stars organization uh, that uh, I just really wanted to talk about. No, that makes sense because it's. I mean, it's one of those things where. You know, you see sometimes young coaches in college have an advantage in getting their players fired up and motivated or whatever because you know, they're used to talking to guys who are so much older than them that when they were going through what they're going through right now, it was 50, not 50 years ago, that was an over-exaggeration, you know, 20, 30 years ago when so much has changed since then. And you have a guy who 
is still of NHL playing age and was playing in the NHL two years ago. It's a huge asset to have, and that's a huge for those for those guys in both the Stars organ in the Stars organization. To, for them to be able to go and be like, "Hey, you were just doing this recently. You still kind of have an idea of how it is right now because you were there so recently." So can you just can you give me a little bit of advice on what I should be doing here or anything like that? Both on and off the ice too. And that's pretty cool to see. Yeah, and, and you. See, I mean, I think one thing that a lot of people forget about with a lot of the prospect with a lot of the prospects and uh, is they also have to develop as human beings too. Like mm-hmm. you just there's a, there's a big mental step there. There's things that are like. We see it with uh, former Stars prospect Jack Campbell, who he needed to take the mental step in his game, and that just never happened while he was in Dallas. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so having someone who can, you can talk to and work with off the ice, that's a huge asset they have with Beverly. Yeah. Um, somebody just tweeted at me saying, rumor that sent, someone just tweeted at me, rumors that sends Antoine Roussel to the Montreal Canadiens. What do you think? Who's a rumor, is it? I don't know. It's, I mean, it's it's uh, the person who tweeted at me is uh, Dallas Stars France. Uh, okay. I don't know. I don't see any other. I don't see any other credence behind this right now, but theoretically, theoretically, if the Stars were to trade Antoine Roussel, Montreal would be the perfect fit, just because of. Uh, and I'm not saying they are. I'm just saying I'm just responding to this person's question right now, which I don't think they knew they were podcasting right now. But good on them if they did. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect timing. Um, yeah, uh, I don't. I don't think this is a possibility. But if it is a possibility, if it's a possibility, Montreal would be the perfect fit. A because of the language right there. Roussel mm-hmm. is French. They speak French in Montreal. Uh, and B, uh, he's Antoine Roussel would be a perfect player in Claude Julien's system. Don't oh you think? God, yeah, he would be. Oh God, that's that makes so much. That, that I'm going to say that that's a perfect fit. To be completely honest, <laughs> given everything, oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah, so I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. So Dallas Stars France um, Twitter handle at Dallas Stars France um, just tweeted that at me. Obviously, I just want to make it clear, and I just want to restate right now. I'm not saying that's happening. I'm just responding to the Twitter question. Um, that would be actually that would be a really good fit, and that would be a really good fit for Roussel. Not if that would Stars fans wouldn't be happy if that happened, obviously. But, right. Uh, the uh, oh, another trade apparently in the works right now too. Uh, Alex Burrows is closer to Ottawa than ever. He has agreed to waive his no trade clause to go to Ottawa. Hmm. Interesting. Cool. Trade deadline may be trade deadline trade deadline week may be one of my favorite weeks of the season just because of all this that just keeps happening. Yeah, I see. I love I love this time of year. I love July first just because it's so interesting. All I mean, I get it. July first hasn't even been that humongous. Well, I guess this last one that was before July first when uh, Stamkos resigned and then Weber Weber and then Weber in for uh, Weber trade. Yeah. What else happened then, too? There was another one that happened just then, too. Fuck, it was the uh, Adam Larson for Taylor Hall trade. That's right. Yeah. But, like, that, that, this stuff's just so fascinating to me. It's a... Uh, like, in theory, it's 
cool because all this stuff's happening at once. It's like like MLB trade deadline when I still was super into baseball. So interesting. Just because everything's happening so fast and it's all just kind of coming at you at once. It's like, wait, who's going where now? What's happening? Whoa, what, 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 what did he what? According to Aaron, uh, apparently the Montreal Canadiens have just acquired Jordy Ben from the Stars for Craig for Greg Paterb in a 2017 fourth round pick. Oh, um, I didn't see that one coming. From, it, this is from uh, Apron uh, Basu, who's my NHL.com colleague in Montreal. So I believe oh, yeah. that. Oh yeah, I just saw uh, it too. So uh, this is actually breaking trade news. I'm going to stay on here real quick. Oh, the uh, so so Jordy Ben to a uh, who's Craig Return? Craig Pat. I've heard of him before. I don't know what. He's 26 years old from Sterling Heights, Michigan. Played collegiately at the University of Michigan and has six points in 24 games with the Habs this year. He's a defenseman. With he's played with Montreal. Yes, 24 games. You continue to talk about him because I need to tweet real quick. Well. I don't really know what there is to say much about him. He played four years at Michigan. He was very, he's, I mean, he's a low point guy, it looks like. He's, he's kind of shuttled between Montreal and the AHL the last couple of years. Uh, he, this year he's been exclusively in Montreal, but only for, as I said, only for 24 games. Last year he played 38 games, had seven points and 49 penalty minutes. And he sounds like he's basically Jordy Ben Light, really. Yeah, it's uh, man, that I, is I, a, I wouldn't. Uh, have, I, I was not, expect I was not that. expecting that move. No, I wasn't either. <laughs> the Dallas Stars seem to have taken a hard stance against beards. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was that was my favorite. To everyone listening, that was actually my legitimate reaction to this trade. We we're actually recording as this trade is happening. <laughs> so you're getting a uh, somewhat live look at the. He's a, he's a defenseman that's actually still playing in the NHL. Do they need? This doesn't help. Ah, uh, I mean, it doesn't help the eight defenseman problem. I mean, he's—I guess he's a guy you can send down on waivers. But I mean, you get a fourth round pick for Jordy Ben. Like, okay, cool. I know. Fourth round pick for Jordy Ben, though, who is uh, still has two more years and a one million dollar salary. He's got a really good contract. Yeah, I wonder how Jamie feels about this. We'll have to ask him tomorrow morning. Oh yeah, there you go. How pissed do you think he would... No, he wouldn't be pissed at all. He'd be kicked if the Habs went out and won the Cup. How funny would that be if Jordy Ben won a Stanley Cup before Jamie Ben? Oh. Jordy, Jordy, ben, who, uh, Jordy ben, who went from the Allen Americans... Yeah. Who would go all the way from the Allen Americans to Stanley Cup champion. Yeah, right. That'd be, that'd be a great story. Would, uh, would Jordy rub it in and bring the Cup back to Dallas and be like, Look what I got, Jamie. You don't have this one yet. That'd be the ultimate big brother troll yeah. move. That's funny. Well, 
I'm going to have to go to work now on this. Um, there's no salary retained in that Montreal-Dallas trade. Um, the Stars have picked up a fourth-round pick for, uh, for Jordy Ben. Uh, let's see what Paterne's contract is. Hold on. Let's check that real quick before I let everyone go. Um, Paterne is, has $800,000 salary and is under contract for next season. Oh, okay. I mean, he sounds like the perfect... Save a little bit of cap space. He's, He's... also right-handed. Oh, there you go. I mean, he sounds like the perfect seventh defenseman, though, so. Interesting. Well, How exciting. With that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close out the podcast because I have to get to work here, but uh, we will uh, post this podcast soon, and uh, everyone, you got to hear the live reaction to the Jordan Ben trade and a bunch of other crap, including Ryan swaying my opinion on something. So good, good on Ryan. Um, That's right. It's trade deadline week. We'll talk more next week.